it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Third Fenway Rundown of the week. Chris Cotillo here with Sean McAdam. We appreciate, once again, all the questions we got from our subscribers yesterday. No further questions. Today is just going to be the two of us talking about what's going on, or as I like to say, what is not going on with the Red Sox because they really have not made significant moves outside of the Alex Verdugo trade. Uh, There's some things that we haven't got to yet that we are going to discuss today, some moves, some rumors, and all of that. Um, No subscriber questions, but still a good time to subscribe to our Insider Text program, Sean. Absolutely, Chris, and we'll be doing another Insider Text mailbag next week while you are on vacation and I am running the show by myself. Um, So if you want to have the opportunity to submit questions there or in the future, or you just want to keep up on all the Red Sox news of the offseason into spring training during the regular season, join the Red Sox Insider Text Program. You get a free 14-day trial, then it's $4.99 a month. All you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link and subscribe today. A lot of people are having fun with it. We're enjoying the back and forth. Come join us. Before we go any further, let's talk wardrobe today, shall we, since we are wearing things both close to our respective hearts. Uh, I have, if you can see here, an Agunkwit main shirt on, which is where I spend every free waking moment. And Chris, hopelessly stuck in his college career past, has sadly, for all of us who can see this visually, his North Carolina jersey on, with his pale white shoulders showing underneath. Yeah, it's December, um, and I've not seen sunlight for a few months. I just thought, you know, not just comfort, but also, you know, first of all, the Red Sox, we'll get to this, uh, burying the lead here, picking up a Tar Heel for uh, their major league roster in Cooper Criswell this week. Initials are CC, went to North Carolina. Can you beat it? No. Um, fortunately, he's making a little more money than I am with a $1 million contract for next year, but that's something to discuss in our raise meeting with you, Sean, my boss, in January. Um, and then just I'm going to the game this week in Atlanta on Saturday against Kentucky. So go heels as always. I do want to mention that you 
you said while I'm on vacation, like I'm going on some luxurious trip to the Bahamas or you, you have wherever. time off approved. What you do with it is up to you. Do, please do not throw that back in my face that you don't have some glorious trip planned. You could have. I granted you the time off, which you earned. If you decide that you're going to spend it in your hovel somewhere, that's on you, not on me. I will be doing this is probably the, the least fun quote unquote vacation anyone's ever taken from a full time job as I as some listeners know somewhat inexplicably am an adjunct instructor at BC. I teach a covering sports in a digital age class. It's been a great semester. Thanks to all the guest speakers who have come in, except for Sean. Uh, we had Rich Hill. He was great. I will be grading papers for my entire wonderful, luxurious vacation next week as the final projects are due Monday night. So that is uh, that, that, again. That's awesome news. People can't wait to hear you complain about your side hustle. Yes, I know. Uh, they, we're already selling them too much with the insider text, according to the fine folks on X or Twitter that we're trying to uh, move away from on the insider text. You don't have to plug the number again. All right, let's start big picture here with the biggest news uh, in recent baseball memory, what looked to be by far the biggest contract in, ever in America, North American sports. The details coming out, it's not really as big as I guess we thought it was. There's a lot of complicated contract details. The first question I want to ask about the Shohei Otani saga, the contract, all that type of stuff. If he signed with the Red Sox and all the details were the same, over under on 74 and a half posts on MassLive.com over the course of the last few days if he had signed with the Red Sox. Under. I don't think so. No, I misspoke. We would have over. We would have more than that. Right. Yeah, I, I, I thought mean, you were. I thought you were too low with your estimate, which is why I said under. But yeah, we would have we would have gone over seventy four and a half. No question. Yes, uh, and so our thoughts and prayers with the Dodgers beat and those of the Angels beat that have had to do that. There's a lot of complicated things with the uh, contract, and I think you know I was asked about them on ninety eight five, and I referred all questions to my accountant father, who also didn't know the answer about the implications of the CVT and all that stuff, and what the deferrals mean, and when he's going to get the money. And what it means for tax purposes and if he can leave Cal. There's a billion things. But just from a baseball perspective and from an industry perspective, I think both of us were shocked to see that $700 million number. It makes sense they did it the way they did it. Um, but just your overall thoughts on Otani signing and everything that's come with it. Yeah, well, despite some misdirection that we were given in the week leading up, I don't think either of us were surprised to see him ultimately land with the Dodgers. They were the chalk pick from the beginning. It was clear they had cleared payroll. They had made arrangements for him to be part of this offseason. He was their priority as Dave Roberts uh, let the cat out of the bag and everyone thought that that was going to be a catastrophic gaffe on his part and potentially cost them the services of Shohei Otani. In the end, it did not. 700 million spoke loudly, as you would expect it would. Um, you know, look, I, I refuse to get on the Oh, this is evidence that baseball needs a salary cap. This is evidence that the game is rigged for the big market teams. Um, as I wrote in a column last week, Chris, uh, I think that there are a lot of teams, including one in our area code, that could spend far more than they are. Uh, the notion that some teams are not even spending as much TV and revenue sharing money that they're getting uh, is the real crime here, not that some teams are trying to win by putting the best product on the field. I applaud the Dodgers for their aggressiveness. 
their uh, their willingness to go the extra mile financially. I think some of the things that are now leaking out about some poison pills in the deal that enable Otani to opt out uh, if one of the owners or managing general partner leaves or if Andrew Friedman leaves, he has an escape hatch, uh, which as some have noted that that was um, – uh, some good job, but self-preservation on Andrew Friedman's part. You make the big signing and then agree to a clause that says if you leave or you're fired, he gets to go. That's a good way to protect yourself, whether that was done with uh, malice aforethought or not. But um, I, I think it's good for the sport that he's going to be in a big market and get lots of exposure. Uh, Otani is clearly the biggest star in the game. And maybe it's appropriate that he's playing a few miles from Hollywood where all the megastars are. I have some thoughts. I think the first thing I would say is people criticizing them for, you know, exploiting this loophole or doing deferrals the way they're doing it. It's in the rules. Any team could have done it. The Giants are willing to do that structure. I'm sure the Blue Jays are willing to do that structure. If the Red Sox had bid at that level, they would have been. You know, a lot of these big deals, I think Devers' deal has deferrals in it. Mookie's deal has deferrals in it with the Dodgers. Max Scherzer's going to get paid forever. It's This yeah, is nothing I, I mean, new. We should, point, we should point out not to the extent of the deferral yeah, here. But it's, this a, is it's, it's allowed. Right. And, I, no, I, I mean, you know. if you're going to allow a dollar, then you have to allow $68 million to right. be deferred. And the, they did nothing wrong. They operated within the structure. And I, I love the people being like, well, this isn't fair. They're going to be, you know, basically, you know, under the collective or the competitive balance tax. You know, this is not really a hit. It's still $46 million. I think that's bigger than any other player in the game. Like, it's not 10 uh, and it's not two, even though that's what he's going to be earning the next few years. So I really have no problem with that. I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I think some that would get me in trouble or alienate me from other people in the industry, both on the agent side and on the journalism side, about how everything went down with the reporting and the media circus that went down over the last few days. Um, as someone who came up and was... Uh, determined at least early in my career to be the next big newsbreaker. Uh, I had to deal with a lot of agents as you have throughout your career and a lot of different people trying to spin things and uh, kind of realized at one point reporters are just collateral in this big game we play. And when there's that much money at stake, uh, you can get lied to sometimes. So I have, uh, I have a lot of respect for, you know, John Morosi and how, he has been kind of dragged through the mud for that mistake the other day, I think is kind of unfortunate. Um, and, and there's a lot, I think that went on behind the scenes. And I think that was a, an interesting kind of moment for, you know, the, those of us like you and I who try to break news all the time. And like, you know, the worst case scenario coming true for somebody uh, where he had what he thought was very solid information that didn't come true on Otani going to Toronto I think it's terrifying, you know, that you, people you trust could tell you something that ends up being wrong. I don't know all the details of this, the story, but from the perspective of what we do, that was a moment where it's like, you know, there there is a huge amount of risk when we are hearing things and trying to break stories. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate. Uh, we both know uh, John Paul Morosi. Uh, I don't think anybody wishes that on anybody in the business. Um, that said, when you make a mistake that uh, of, of that magnitude, as he did, um, 
you know, your reputation is going to take a hit and he's got to deal with that fallout. I don't envy him doing that, but those are the consequences of making a mistake like that on the big stage. Yep. And uh, I think there's, you know, been a lot of talk about the race to be first, all that stuff that's obviously changed a lot in the last few years with the advent of Twitter X and now our insider text program that is taking over. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, just kind of been fascinating to look at it as a third party observer. And um, in that way, you know, <laughs> I'm glad that the Red Sox were not involved on a Friday and Saturday from that perspective, because we would have had a lot of trouble trying to figure out what was real, what was not, if they really had a chance. Um, yeah, I think, you know, are you, uh, we talked about this before, but are you surprised in any way that the Red Sox weren't among the most aggressive teams there? I know we, but we both agreed from a baseball perspective, it just did not make that much sense. But at the end, it seemed like it was the Giants, the Cubs and the Blue Jays, along with the Dodgers and maybe the Angels being involved there in the Red Sox. If they had any interest, it was preliminary and that was that. Yeah, uh, we knew fairly early on in the process that they weren't going to be real players for Otani. Uh, I had said since last summer that in a lot of ways he would have checked a lot of boxes for them. He certainly would have put the Red Sox back on the relevancy map. He would have uh, uh, assuaged a very frustrated fan base who wants to see more commitment from ownership here. Uh, he would have been a huge ticket-selling piece uh, someone to drive up Nesson ratings but when you get right down to it um, given that he wasn't going to be able to pitch next year and ultimately that didn't impact his marketability as we saw uh, the Dodgers didn't seem too concerned with not getting any innings out of him in 2024 they were willing to make a 10-year commitment at a record number even if it is deferred uh, the Red Sox are looking for more immediate help and I guess you know I, I don't want to pat them on the back for not being involved, but at least they seem to look at it realistically and say, you know, as nice as this would be, we have other priorities. Now the onus, he said, shifting and segueing somewhat is what they can do to address their pitching needs for 24. And that too seems to be going slowly. Although I think it's important too to put into context that they're, really have only been, you know, at maximum, probably three guys who have signed elsewhere that would have fit here. I would label those three as Lugo, Erod, and um, and Nola. Aaron Nola. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Sonny Grays and Kenta Maeda's and some of the other pitchers that have moved were not necessarily fits here. They had expressed at least some interest in reuniting with Erod. We know that they are in on Lugo. They apparently did not make much of an effort to get Nola, presumably because of the draft pick attached to him in terms of the qualifying offer. Uh, there's still a lot out there, but with Yamamoto kind of on deck, uh, I think things could happen pretty quickly here, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly the Red Sox pivot if they lose out on Yamamoto or if they should win the bidding. I think that, and I'll get on my soapbox here, and you know, I think this comes off sometimes as a you're just you cover the team and you're looking for a headline and maybe that's part of it but i think that the red sox do themselves a disservice by not being as willing to get their fan fan base riled up about these free agent pursuits as some other teams we were just in nashville aaron boone said 
Yamamoto will look great in pinstripes. Dave Roberts said, yeah, we met with Shohei Otani. I really hope he signs with us. The Yankees, for whatever reason, leaked out the details of their meeting with Yamamoto. You know, they have Aaron Boone flying out there and Cashman and Steinbrenner and Matt Blake, and they're all going to L.A., and there was rumors that they would get their former Japanese stars involved. The Mets leaked out that Steve Cohen went all the way to Japan to talk to the guy to show how interested they are. And the Red Sox, from top down, will not acknowledge that Yoshinobu Yamamoto exists. And that creates a perception, whether it's correct or not. And, of course, the rumors are that they are not, you know, at the top of the food chain in the bidding. They're not expected to get into a bidding war. That was Mark Feinstein's report the other day. Like, the Red Sox could probably gain some goodwill if Alex Cora said, the guy's a stud. We love him. We'd love to have him. We're going to do what we can to get him. What, what, yeah. what the hell is the harm in that? You know? Yeah. And I think that I, they, I, they just, they, they, that's why, you know, when you think about fans being alienated, throw them a bone on this. You know, even if you're not going to get them, you are clearly interested. We know it. You know it. The fans know it. Just do something to kind of, you know, get hopes up for a little bit. If it doesn't work out, hey, you made an effort. Yeah, or at least acknowledge publicly that you are making an effort. Now, I'm sure that there would be people who, if Sam Kennedy or Craig Breslow or Alex Cora came out on the record and said, yes, we are meeting with Yamamoto on Friday, and these are the people that we're going to take with us, and we have a presentation from Daisuke and Koji, and this is how we're approaching it. People would say, oh, this is the interest kings. They're in on him. What good does it do if they don't sign him? Ultimately, yes, you're judged on whether you you uh, succeed in your, in your fishing expedition here, and you don't get points for merely taking the meeting and maybe making an offer that's not going to get the job done. But given where they stand from a PR standpoint and the amount of frustration that you and I sense is very much bubbling over uh, with the fan base, you would think that they would want to highlight that they are at least making the effort. Instead, they have gone the other way, and they are very secretive, and they will not acknowledge anything. And I'm not sure I understand that either. It would seem counterproductive and counterintuitive for a team that has an image of not doing enough to not talk about something that runs counter to that. And you can say, yes, we look, we're not guaranteeing we're getting him, but we're, we're flying out there. We have this planned. We're going to make a big effort. Um, Why not say that and get the credit for it? But they've decided otherwise. And it creates a perception that they're not really in. And, you know, that's, I think works against them. Um, We talked a little bit about Seth Lugo yesterday in the mailbag pod. I think your take was the right one of, you know, people would have been upset if they gave him 45 million and people are upset they get outbid by the Royals. So that was kind of a, you know, no win situation. I think he's a fine back end guy, veteran presence. I don't want to spend, you know, too much time on him. I do think it was an interesting report. Anybody who listens to this show or reads us knows that I've been talking and writing about George Kirby and Logan Gilbert and trying to get uh, the Red Sox one of those starters from Seattle since the beginning of the offseason. Alex Spear today writing in a, a long update on where the pitching search stands that the Mariners have rebuffed the Red Sox efforts to make a trade to that end. Uh, not surprising because look, these guys, I think the four of them that I just, you know, aggregated that and wrote about uh, Gilbert Kirby, Wu and Bryce Miller. Those three guys are all under control for at least four or five more years. In the case of the final two through 2029, 
Um, they're all 23, 24, 25 years old. They all pitched really well last year. Uh, Gilbert's numbers, you know, this is a guy who's made 32 starts in each of the last two years. Just an absolute horse type of guy the Red Sox would love to have. You know, Kirby might even have a little bit more upside, but woo. And Bryce Miller, really, really good too. Um, those are the kind of guys that in today's game where, you know, starters are so valuable – those guys really are priceless. They're extremely valuable to any team, small market, big market. They're not, none of those guys right now are making over, you know, a million dollars. They're all making the major league minimum. I get it from the Mariners' perspective that they might not be willing to trade any of them. But I do think, you know, while they probably are, well, definitely, obviously, trust Alex's reporting, rebuff the Red Sox at this early part of the offseason. That doesn't mean by opening day things won't change if the Red Sox say, all right, fine, we'll talk about Roman Anthony, you know, or all right, fine, yeah, we'll talk uh, about well, Meyer. And, and that's the missing piece of the puzzle, right? Is this a philosophical thing on the part of the Mariners? No, we have controllable, excellent young pitching, and we are not discussing trading it. Don't even bother us. Or, yeah, we'll do it for Meyer and York and Perales and one other guy off your major league roster. And the Red Sox said, no, that's too rich for our blood. And then the talks fell apart there. Did they engage? Did the Red Sox make a proposal or it was don't even waste your time. We're not going to talk about those guys. It'd be interesting to know which of the two responses Seattle gave uh, when the Red Sox approached them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know you understand how, baseball works and the modern game and the players involved here but to suggest that Derek that Jerry DePoto when reached with a trade call said don't even bother us is probably Drew, not maybe what his I, answer I should was. take that back he yeah I mean he would discuss trading his mother if that was a possibility and I'm sure he has at least with the Rays they're common trade partners there the starting pitching search I mean we could just and we have kind of put out a podcast every day it says red Sox need starters and they haven't landed one that's the fenway rundown thanks for coming out and we've been doing that for a while so we will now pivot to the moves that they actually made we have not really we did we did in depth a week ago which seems like a month ago in nashville dig into the alex verdugo trade everything that came with it we did not get a chance really other than a couple questions yesterday to talk about the secondary trade that they made to the outfield picture on friday night Tyler O'Neill comes from the Cardinals in exchange for Nick Robertson and Victor Santos. Um, I have some thoughts. I'll start here. That price to me is nothing. You know, I, I, I tweeted this the other day. Like, if you look on paper, I know Nick Robertson developed a sweeper and looked pretty good down the stretch in a couple of outings. But this is a guy who Nick Robertson and Justin Hageman, for those who forget, were the two-man return for Kike Hernandez, who at the trade deadline had the lowest war in baseball, and was definitively the worst player in the game. They got two months of Kike Hernandez, the Dodgers did, for Robertson and Hagenman. Now all of a sudden, Robertson and Victor Santos, who's not a prospect, he's kind of a depth guy uh, who was a minor league free agent the Red Sox re-signed, can get you a year of Tyler O'Neill. I know it's been different. I know it's not Bloom and it's Breslow now, but just seems, you know, like they basically, you know, turned two months of Kike in a way into a year of Tyler O'Neill, which has a lot of upside. So I think the price was right there. They have a lot of relievers. We'll get to that in a second, um, making you know Robertson expendable. I think O'Neill is a guy who 
you know, is not going to probably give you the production of an Adam Duvall. He's probably going to give you better defense. He has the upside to be, you know, really good. Younger, has power, had a great year two years ago, has struggled with injuries. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about just the roster being more functional with a right-handed bat like that compared to a Verdugo, um, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's an upside play. It's a one-year play. He's only going to cost $5 million. Uh, and I think he's a guy that, you know, is – has the capability to exceed expectations. And if he doesn't, eh, you didn't really give up much. So right. you gave maybe, up a sixth or seventh inning reliever and a guy yeah. who was in indie ball two years ago. So, and I mean, the way I look, look before, you know, your thoughts, I know I'm going on long here. Like, is it underwhelming? Is the outfield picture underwhelming in total? Maybe, but I think for, for what they needed to do, I think it's a functional move that makes sense. Well, I, yeah, and, and I agree with you on O'Neill, but one of the things you left out was uh, this guy is an, a, is an above-average defender, and he can play all three outfield positions, and he's won two gold gloves. Now, um, Alex Verdugo, we saw, played an excellent right field last year, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, he moved around. He was not as good in the other two positions. Oddly, it turned out that right field in Fenway, which is, as we know, a very difficult field to play, was his best spot in his time with the Red Sox over four years. So um, the the fact that they got a right-handed bat, someone who as recently as a couple of years ago, when he was healthy, hit 30-plus home runs, and somebody who is uh, not only a good defender, but versatile enough to play all three spots, left, center, and right. So if Duran gets traded or Duran struggles, or you don't want Duran facing a tough lefty, O'Neill can fill in in center. If you don't want Yoshida playing 130-plus games in left field, then O'Neill can play a lot of left. And if Abreu uh, you know, needs a backup or another option in right, O'Neill can play there too. So they gave up so little for him uh, that the bar is kind of low, but I think he clears it easily because of the potential upside and how little they gave up for him. And I said this, I think last week, or at least tweeted it, that the, to me, it just did not make a lot of sense for them to go out and give one of these veteran free agent outfielders, big right-handed bats, a three or four year deal, whether that be Jorge Soler, Teoscar Hernandez, um, Lourdes Gurriel, some of the guys they were linked to when they traded, Verdugo to me it was like you're going to give one of these guys in their 30s three or four years you have so many outfielders coming up we've talked about Abreu obviously Rafaela you have Yoshida for four more years you have Duran under control you have Anthony coming up like it, that just did not seem to be a perfect fit the other takeaway I think from how they're making these trades they really like Willie Abreu and they think he could really be a regular and a guy who can play right field they think the arm plays uh if they didn't have him and if he didn't show them what he did down the stretch I don't think these moves happen, uh, but you know there a lot of confidence in him at this point. Two other moves they made this week, uh, smaller but worth noting. Their first free agent signing for a major league deal under Craig Breslow. It was a Tar Heel, as we mentioned. Uh, someone I actually don't know personally. Only spent one year at America's finest institution, but Cooper Criswell, uh, a swingman type from the Rays, good extension, a funky arm angle. One of these guys they hope to get in the lab. Um, I think to me, if there's any takeaway here, it's that Breslow is very aggressive and adding a lot of arms that he think could he thinks could be helpful. We've seen, you know, going back to Isaiah Campbell for Urias, uh, Weissert uh, is going to probably factor in next year as well. Justin Slayton, a Rule Five pick, 
they obviously traded away, you know, Robertson and uh, who was a, a Heim guy from the deadline and now bringing in Criswell. It's a very crowded mix with those guys, Brian Mata, Zach Kelly, Yovera, Schreiber, Winkowski. Like they have a lot of guys that are only going to be going for a few spots. Um, and I think that, you know, it's just one of those Breslow's identifying interesting upside arms, not big names and hoping that he can find a diamond in the rough with them. I think fans interpret this and think it's going to be the only thing they do. I still don't think that, but um, he's trying to make his mark on the pitching staff already and at least lead to some competition in spring training for those types of roles. Yep. And we remember the remarks from Alex Cora down the stretch in September about how important he thought it was to provide additional depth hard-throwing arms and guys who have options and thus can be moved back and forth uh, for um, flexibility's sake next year. You and I both recognize, I think, that the bullpen is going to be a team strength, particularly if you end up having guys uh, like Crawford and like Hauk and like Whitlock as power arms there to give you uh, an inning or multiple innings out of the bullpen in front of guys like Martin and Jensen in the back end. They have a lot of options. They could probably use another lefty uh, to go with Bernardino, but right now uh, they're stockpiling different depth options and giving themselves a lot of flexibility. Um, there, there's a lot of talk about how you need, you know, as many as nine or 10 starters to get through a year. Well, you, you probably need double that uh, in the bullpen. And the more options, the better. Alex Corris said something interesting at the end of the year on that, where he said there's going to be some guys who we're going to have to have tough conversations with in spring training that are going to get sent down that you would never expect would be sent down. Uh, I don't know if he has eye on someone specifically, but I do think there was a feeling in the last couple of years that they gave guys too long of a leash. And if they had a track record, they let them struggle in the majors. We've talked before about how Caleb Ort had the longest leash of any human being who's ever played in the majors. Um, just Bra- going out. Brazier was another. Yep. For forever. Um, the guys that I look at to be on high alert, despite success in the major leagues before, I could see Tanner Houck going down to AAA if they need that yep. to happen. I could see John Schreiber going down to AAA despite having a really good year two years ago. Like these guys should locked. be yep on high alert um, because you know it's Craig Breslow coming in and saying you know if Justin Slayton's going to win us a game today, we don't care that no one knows who he is and that you Garrett Whitlock were the best reliever in the game three years ago. You know, and I think that that's a very real thing. Yep, it, it, it has to be a meritocracy. When, they, when you have struggled as much as they have the last four seasons with three last-place finishes, there should be no sacred cows, and particularly in an area like the bullpen where there are so many options available, guys that you claim off waivers are making, you know, did anyone think that, that Brennan Bernardino was going to have the kind of impact that he did last year? No, but it's a reminder that you can find guys in the ether who can contribute. Uh you know, Ryan Brazier, uh, going back to 2018, uh, nobody knew who he was. He opened some eyes during spring training and became a very important part. After that, he wasn't of much help. So, uh, you know, as our friend Peter Gammons likes to use the word fungible, um, I, I think that goes double for anybody when you're talking about relief pitchers. Uh some guys have good years. Some of them don't follow that up. And when they don't perform up to expectations, then you need to look elsewhere and you need to have those options internally. And now they have some.
Quickly, would you entertain a trade involving Kenley Jansen or Chris Martin with all these arms? Yeah, I think you have to. Um, I, I, I think that there can be no uh, untouchables here. Uh, you know, Kenley Jansen is a guy in his mid-30s who's had some uh, durability issues or injury issues the last couple of years. Chris Martin, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he may have a very good year, but it's unlikely that he's going to have as good a season as he did in 2023. So if you have the opportunity to sell high on him, uh, and get yourself a younger, more controllable option or address second base and get an arm out of it too, then I think everybody has to be on the table and everything has to be on the table. I don't necessarily think they're aggressively shopping, but if somebody calls, I think you have to at least entertain what they have to say. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, we'll touch very quickly. Roberto Perez coming in on a minor league deal. Uh, they wanted him very badly last year. I think Cora likes him as a defensive kind of catcher. He is going to fill that Jorge Alfaro role of a third catcher. If Reese McGuire is not performing and Perez can, you know, give them something defensively, maybe he factors in. My takeaway here probably takes them out on Martin Maldonado, who never seemed like a great fit. Do you have any uh, inspiring thoughts on Roberto Perez? I, I don't, other than the fact that it's smart to have a major league tested catcher at AAA. Because as the saying goes, you're always a foul tip away from an IL stint, uh, and you don't want to have to go to somebody as they did last year. Never mind Alfaro struggles, but Caleb Hamilton yep. was not at all a major league caliber player. Uh, he may have been okay defensively. Uh, he was marginally more successful with the bat than you or I would have been, striking out, I think, nine out of ten plate appearances. So to have somebody like Perez who's done it, who is, you know, 40 miles away is a good thing to have. Doesn't change the tenor of the offseason or make us think differently about the organization uh, in the big picture, but it's a small detail that they've taken care of. This will be the last Fenway rundown of the 2023 calendar year that Sean and I are both on. Uh, I will be, as I said, on the most luxurious vacation in grading hell anyone's ever had next week. The week after, Sean will be off. That doesn't mean the show won't go on as we mix in different people, guests, and all of that stuff. Um, but this will be the last year for me for at least a week. Sean, enjoy taking the reins. I know you have some fun stuff planned for next week. Yeah, we do. We're going to have some guests. We're going to go through another mailbag with our insider text. And if you're asking yourself, well, how the heck could I get a question read on one of those pods it's simple for 4.99 a month which includes a 14-day trial period you can join us on our red sox insider text program and not only supply some content for the podcast but have access to me to chris Catillo, to chris smith over the winter in spring training and next year text the word join to 617-751-6257 again that's 617-751-6257 then click the link and subscribe today This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.